We're good? And we're good. (laughs) Welcome back, everybody. I'm Bobby. This is Fight Junkies. And today in Las Vegas, Nevada, we have a special guest. Uh, This gentleman is on the rise. And he's, uh, I I think that everyone's going to be not just interested in him as a human, uh, but his his fighting capabilities. I met him uh, about a week ago uh, in studio, and we just connected. So I wanted to bring him back. Today, we have a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, and we have a... A uh, pro fighter who's within a 10-month time span had five wins by knockout. Five first-round wins. Five first-round wins. All by wins. submission. Four of those men were hospitalized. I'd like to welcome King David MMA, everybody. Let's go. Clap it up for me. Let's go. And I can't forget about uh, my today, I'll call you my today co-host, <laughs> Robert. Uh, the other Babs, this gentleman came all the way out from Canada just to see me. Uh, and today he's been helping me out a lot. So yeah, uh, I appreciate both of you guys. Can we clap it up as well? Let's, Let's get go. it on. Fight junkies, baby. Like, share, subscribe. Tell your grandma. Tell your neighbor's dog. Let them know. So what's up, man? How you doing? I am amazing. And I know what you may be thinking. Did he show up? to the Fight Junkies podcast in a Versace shirt? And the answer is 100% absolutely yes, I did. In fact, Can we clap it up again for the Versace shirt? Hey, let's go. (laughs) I I heard we were just out here being American patriots and dress and fly, so. Absolutely. Right. I got a hot wife. I got to be fly at all times. Listen, man, you got to keep her excited. I get it. Robert, what's up, man? No, I'm just chill, man. Happy to be here. Do you go by Robert? It doesn't matter. I don't. I realize really quickly in my life. I, somebody will refer to me as like a bunch of different things. I don't notice the difference between Rob, Robert, Babs, any of it. You ever go by Bob? No, that's my uncle. I'm gonna okay. call you Bobby Sunglasses, bro. <laughs> Let's get it. Bobby Suns. Yeah. Thank you again for for hanging out uh, this morning. He came in and we did some fight breakdowns. And uh, there hasn't been too much going on UFC lately. Uh, so I'm really excited to have you in in, in studio. Um, you currently live in Vegas, right? I do live in Vegas. I split my time between Vegas and San Diego, but I primarily am in Las Vegas. It's the fight capital of the world, and I train at the best facility for martial arts on the planet, Extreme Couture. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Shout out to Eric Nixick. Hey, my guy. Oh, Eric. Yeah, Eric's the man. Um, and it's interesting because a lot of people will ask about, like, what's it like to train there and you know, what's the dynamic? Because there are multiple coaches and it's almost, um, if you're familiar with football, there is a head coach that would be like Eric. And then there's like an offensive coordinator and and then all that. And we have another coach, his name's Dennis Davis. And Dennis Davis is like a walking encyclopedia of like brutal destruction of human beings. So uh, Eric is like keeping the morale up, keeping the vibe high, keeping everybody organized and on track, like a leadership type role. And then in a different leadership type role, we have Dennis Davis um, just, you know, breaking down the human anatomy for us. So we are well covered. It reminds me of the uh, the Danaher Death Squad a little bit. John Danaher. He's just like an encyclopedia of jujitsu and fighting. Yeah, uh, I, I saw a video with John Danaher, and he's breaking down like how to win a hockey fight on ice skates. There we go. <laughs> he used to coach professional one. hockey. Yeah, yeah, I got to see that one. I haven't heard of that one. That's that's, that's a good clip for you to, yeah. to talk about. Yeah. yeah, bro, break it down on the pod. You know, like yeah, that would yeah. be dope. Reaction. Yeah, he used to coach professional hockey. Uh, he's from Canada, eh? Yeah, um, can't tell. Drinks good beer. Very polite. Uh, absolute gentleman. 
Minus the beer part, though. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's uh, one thing that's interesting about the hockey fight thing is, like, there's so many things that go into it. Is there rules? Can you break that down? Yeah, so there's, like, an unwritten code of, like, you don't hit a guy in the back of the head type of stuff. But then those rules also get broken at the same time. But because you're so unbalanced, it's, like, between your equipment and the ice, that just, like, stuff happens. And, like, you're not supposed to hit once the guys go down. You're supposed to make sure the guy you're bringing down doesn't hit his head off the ice a little bit. There's some, like, unwritten rules to it. But fighting's, a little bit of gentleman. Yeah, fighting's really being like worked its way out of hockey. Unfortunately, it's just that was know, my favorite part. Yeah, the, the hockey fights. I like that extravagant, crazy shit. And speaking of that, um, it came on my radar while doing some research that there's a gentleman within close proximity to me that has one of the craziest, besides Colby Covington talking shit to all of Brazil. <laughs> this has got to be the craziest post-fight talk shit crowd reaction i've ever seen uh i was a little bit scared myself uh for you but you're a pro fighter so you were good yes can you break that i watched the video can you break down like where you were how like what went into that uh was it like yes that was crazy I, i was in montana and montana is a very um second amendment friendly like they're not playing pronouns they're not it's like a a really normal place people like love their family and love god you know and uh i read in the bible belt right no it's not uh montana's uh, pretty far up north yeah Yeah. and then uh i really liked it out there it was like fresh air and everything Uh, but i was the main event obviously and (laughs) you know uh I, i liked i like to get on the mic and act a little wild it's fun to me uh after the fight but everybody was already leaving because the fight was over. So they thought they had seen everything. And I was gonna cut this like really pro Montana, like Obama can't ban these guns. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that kind of promo, but uh, they're walking. Oh, you up. went completely. Right, and I was like, they're walking away. How can I get them to turn around? So I just hit them with, all oh, you fat, out of shape, Montana meatballs need to pipe down while I stand here shirtless so your wives and your girlfriends can see what a real man looks like. And <laughs> next thing I know, beers start flying, water bottles start flying. Uh, it got pretty out of hand. Someone threw a baby, yeah, I think. Well, uh, yeah, so <laughs> Montana's a little bit different culture than uh, Las Vegas, where Las Vegas people are a little more jaded and hardened. In Montana, I was like, oh, I'm doing like a fun pro wrestling promo. There were like children crying in the audience. And I asked, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, it was like a whole problem. I asked for the B-roll and they didn't get it on camera. But a woman jumped over the security and she got in my face like nose to nose and was flipping me. Oh, fuck you. Da, 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 da. And then I hear out of the corner, you're a fucking pussy. I'm going to kill you. And it sounded like a male voice. So I'm like, I need to assess the threat. So I look over to see the threat. And now all of a sudden out of my peripherals, she gets snatched up by security. I just see her body just leave. And then they're escorting me out the side. And, um, you know, people are just screaming at me and fuck you and all, all this wild. So wild you had stuff. a good time, huh? Well, yeah. I mean, they, they escorted me out of the side of the building. There were two groups, four people each with knives out front waiting to stab me. And then there was a group chat with an after party. And I mean, there's not much to do in Montana. So there was 100 people organized at the after party ready to jump me. So um, despite the fact that I was contractually obligated to go to the after party, I was not only allowed to, uh, I was told not to go. I'm forbidden from the after party, but um, I was also uh, basically kicked out of Montana at that point. Jesus. Yeah. And then when I went back to uh, fight in another state nearby, they said that not only am I, in order to get licensed, I'm not allowed to speak about, um, it was in Wyoming. I'm not allowed to speak about Wyoming or Montana on the mic after the fight. 
So in order to get licensed, I had to agree. That's pretty intense. It got wild. I think, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I've been back to Montana recently, and um, it's interesting. Uh, where, when I'm in the fighting environment, you know, people that that are familiar with that come up to me. Oh my God, I'm a meatball, and yeah, you know. Um, now I gotta ask, right. um, and I, you're probably in a way or like, ah, yeah, who cares? This is about me, but I gotta ask. Back to me, yeah, I'm yeah. Right. You're you're the nephew of the infamous Hulk Hogan, right? Um. So growing up, having a professional wrestler in the family, did you, is that what you kind of bring into your character? Like you, you've obviously learned and saw that it works, you know, it worked for Hulk Hogan, it worked for so many people. Like, so you must be way ahead of the game than like another fighter. Is it, does that play any role or it's just you just doing your own fucking thing and like. Well, I, I did grow up on pro wrestling. So yeah. I feel like that has a big influence on my post fight speeches. Um, in fact, one time I got booed in Florida for beating up the local guy. It was my pro debut. There were 12,000 people there. And it was so loud that it was like a concert when you're screaming at the person standing next to you and you can't hear each other. I couldn't hear myself on the mic. It was that loud of just boo, and the whole place was vibrating. I could feel like physical, like energy coming at me from, from the loudness of the booze. And then when I went in the back, um, you know, cause I was trying to like, Hey, you know, this guy's, you know, it's not how many times you get knocked down. It's how many times you get up. He's a champion. He'll be back. Like trying to shout him out. Cause the dude was tough and he had like beat me up for seven minutes and I broke his arm. Um, and then I'm in the back and then my uncle comes in and he's like, brother, he's like, when they start booing, you need to just turn heel. And I'm like, Oh, okay. And then he's like, yeah, I would have told him you don't even know how to spell the word boo. So <laughs> later on I'm in Arizona and I fight a guy, and the crowd starts booing, and the first thing, Arizona absolutely sucks. sucks yeah. You idiots don't even know how to spell the word boo. And then, yeah. Full just, heel. It just ensued. So. Well, we, it, it's worked for, you know, Connor. It's worked for Chael Sonnen. The, I mean, Chael's undefeated. So, obviously, it's worked. Um, yeah, I don't think anybody necessarily, like, thought that Chael like meant everything he said which is part of the reason why I think he did so well with it playing the heels everyone goes like yeah we know he's being facetious and this is a bit of satire but the way he strung everything together so perfectly well after getting hit in the face that many times yeah it's just so impressive but do you think of some of the stuff ahead of time where you're like ah if this goes this way I can say this after the post fight well uh some of it is you know like oh I would like so in Montana it was like if the crowd reacts well to me then I'm going to go into full like second amendment, you know, like mm -hmm. love our family, love God. Nobody's telling our kids what their pronouns are. You know what I mean? Like that kind of vibe. Uh, and I was like, if the crowd reacts poorly, then I'm going to go full Rick rude. Cause I love Rick rude as a pro <laughs> wrestler. And I was like, dude, I'd love to do a tribute to him. Like what, like if I could do a Rick rude tribute, that would be like a crowning jewel in my life in terms of like life experience. And I was fortunate that I got to be able to do it. So that one, um, I started off pre-planned and then I freestyled a little bit in there as well. Well, speaking of like being fortunate and being able to do stuff, uh, talk to me a little bit about like your, your pro career. And most recently, I specifically want to ask, you were supposed to go to this, this latest uh, ultimate fighter, correct? With Connor and Chandler. Right. Is so that the one that you were going to go? You So you were supposed to go uh, and be on either Team Chandler or Team Connor. Well, I was going to be on Team Connor because I was going to mandate that I will be on Connor's team. team. Okay. Whether I'm the first pick or the last pick, I have absolutely no desire to be on Team Chandler. And I was going to explain that to them. And whoever got offended could be offended. And whoever felt that I was interrupting or disrupting the show can feel that way. But I would prefer to train with Connor. And I was going to let it be known. I was going to ask 
what happened? Again, now I got to ask, like, what happened with Chandler? You're not a fan of Chandler. No, it's not. I got to ask. Well, I think I think Chandler is athletic, um, but I don't necessarily think that he is uh, super technical. Where I think that Connor um, understands mechanics. So it was a coaching. It was a it was an MMA coaching aspect. It wasn't like you just don't fucking like the guy or something. I don't know him personally. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know anything about him. Uh, I find his character, uh, his personality, to be cool. He seems like a family man. All that. Yeah. But, um, in terms of you know, on my deathbed, would I rather have been looking back at my life and saying, oh, I was on Team Chandler? Or would I like, you know, prefer to have worked one on one with the notorious one, Conor McGregor? Conor McGregor. And, and I was willing to do anything. To, I mean, to, I, I was going to risk getting kicked off the show, causing a scene to let it be known that that's the team that I wanted to be on. Unfortunately, we didn't make it that far. Yeah. So like what what happened with all that? Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, so I was in the uh, the casting yeah. and uh, in communication with the producers and the production team. And, you know, let's say that we leave to the hotel on Monday. I had made it as far as the Thursday before the Monday. And they had done drug testing and I had done all paperwork. They told me, pay your rent or your mortgage in advance. They were like, handle everything. If you got a dog, find a dog sitter. You're going to be gone for eight weeks because you go to the hotel. And then they do like um, a little bit of like isolation and they do further testing on you. And they just want to make sure kind of that... Everybody that shows up is going to show up and everybody can handle the isolation and not having a cell phone and everything. So they keep you in the hotel for about a week or so. And then you move into the house. Oh, I didn't know that. That's that's interesting. Right. And so, uh, you know, basically the production had told me, you know, we can't say that you're on, but you're basically on. Just get ready to go to the hotel pack, do everything. And then um, that Thursday, I had the best training session I've had in years. I was smoking people like top level guys. I walk off the mat and see my manager. Roman, I'm going to win the whole effing show. Let's go. And he, up. Yeah. And he's like, did you get my text? And I'm like, what text? He's like, bad news. And I'm like, what's that? And then, um, you know, I checked the text and everything. And he, he, I mean, he told me what it was, but, uh, that my name had come across the desk of Sean Shelby. And because I am, uh, biologically 42 years old there was a 42 next to my name and he said that he had put a 42 year old on the previous season who didn't do well and he is not doing it again so the producers fought for me they reached out to me they said that I was their number one pick they wrote in and uh you know we're going back and forth and corresponding but um they said there's absolutely nothing they could do at that point that Sean Shelby overrid it all which I understand because he's got to protect fighter safety and if I saw a 42 on a page I'd go like what is this um, the information that he may not have had on that paper is that I am aging in reverse and that I am butchering men every day at the top facility on the planet. And I can definitely protect myself and compete with these men being that one of the men who did make it on the show, I have a win over and the referee, uh, had to intervene when he screamed for the referee to pull me off of him, at which point his arm was popping and he needed immediate medical attention. God. Right. So what are your I'm, takes on the, on the age thing? I mean, like, I, y'all Romero, there's a lot of guys that I think have kind of like proven that. But I think it's like a matter of the individual. I, I don't think it's like a, it's something you can say across the board. I don't like drawing really thick lines across anything. I think anybody can do anything, but, you know, it's an individual circumstance. It happened in hockey. We had a guy that was like 47 trying to make pro hockey. Yeah. Give the guy the opportunity at the very least, you know? It's just, I don't like putting a really thick black line on something and saying, like, that. this is what it is, just based off of a single number. I don't really dig that. I've heard Dana before saying that people our age, he's just not, you know, right. too too high up on the shelf with, which I understand. I mean, I certainly don't, me personally, uh, I'm not aging backwards. <laughs> 
But I do believe, like, I mean, I've I met a lot. I've had a lot of champions in here. I meet a lot of people. Um, I've met a lot of a lot of fighters over the last twenty years. You're you there's not you you know how to talk. You can articulate yourself. You know how to play the game. I think there's a lot more that yeah. You might lose like like you were saying some of the the youth aspect or a little maybe your your attributes go down a little in certain area. But you're way fucking up here in like the we can promote this guy. We can we can put him in this room and he's gonna know how to handle the pressure and and act like an adult. So I think. You gotta look at every you know, like the whole aspect. Yeah. So it's definitely not like every forty-two-year-old, but there are some, and I think you have to leave the door open for stuff. I don't like being closed-minded on things like that, but like, yeah, it's just one of those annoying things you have to deal with, and it's that's a motivational factor though. When someone says like, "No, you can't do this because of this," you go, "Okay, well, screw you. I'm going to go show you that exact thing." I'm a big chip on my shoulder type of guy, so I can kind of get. And is that the same way for you? When someone says you can't do it, you're going to be like, "Yeah, well, I'll fucking show you." What in in, in one way. Yes, um, but I would say that my primary motivation isn't to necessarily prove other people wrong. It's more like on my deathbed, would I rather have made history and, you know, become one of the oldest fighters? Like I was, you know, intending to go on the ultimate fighter and be the oldest person in human history to win the ultimate fighter show and go on to win fights in the UFC. Mm-hmm. That was 100 percent my intention. And I feel like that's a cool life story Fuck. at the end, you know, and, and, and then just the backstory of like, dude, we didn't want, we, I don't know, maybe C42 on the paper. We didn't want to give the guy a chance, but he's over here acting wild on Instagram. And, you know, all he wanted was an opportunity. So we said, you know, F it, let's let him go. And then he won the whole thing. And now here we are. And um, I feel like that would be a really cool story and a moment in history that, you know, uh, it would be a collaborative effort between everybody from us in this room to Dana to Sean Shelby that in the future they can look back on and go like, wow, you know, the difference between saying yes and no, we just said yes, gave it a chance, and that, that led to a really cool experience for everybody. I mean, if they can let a 17-year-old kid go. Yeah, that's uh, that's one of my former training partners, Raul, and he and I were joking that he was going to be the youngest uh, fighter. You were going to gonna be the oldest. Right, yeah, and then he beat me to it. So um, shout out to Raul Rosas Jr. I guess it sounds like they had that that science experiment or, like before somebody right. 42. But that, you know, like you can't. Especially at the lower level, like you can't try to put two pro fighters in the same box. Right. No. That guy could have literally been. I've seen some 42 year olds that look like they're on Medicare, bro. Right. Like, and then some studs. Like, right. I, I don't know. So, well, I look at it you... like this like, if, if the God of Thunder himself, Thor, came down from Valhalla and appeared in front of Sean Shelby and Dana White and said he wanted to fight in the UFC, they would sign him. They wouldn't care that he's 7,000. Right. So my only objective right now <laughs> is to become undeniable. And if I am still deniable, then that is my responsibility. But moving forward, I will continue to butcher these men on the local scene. And I'll explain to Dana, Dana, I love you, brother, but this blood is on your hands. You could prevent all this. Put me in there with someone that can protect themselves. These people have families. I've sent four men to the hospital back to back to back, finished five people in the first round. One of them was a six in one prospect, division one wrestler. He fought a UFC veteran to a three round decision. And when the UFC veteran won, the crowd booed because they thought that the per- the person I fought won. I smoked that guy in three minutes and Woo! sent him to the hospital. Let's go. go. If the UFC called and said, like, hey, we got a last minute fight, would you take like a right now? List right now? So right. Someone, second, if someone doesn't make weight tomorrow, you're ready to so, go. So they, uh, Fusion Fight League called me, which is not the UFC. They're a great promotion and a pr- they have excellent production, but like they called me, hey, do you want to fight in 30 hours? 
And I said, what weight? And they're like, dude, you got to cut 14 pounds. I said, I'm going to cut the 14 pounds on the airplane. Sign me up. I don't care who the opponent is. I told my manager to forge my signature. And I went and got in a bathtub that second. Yeah. And then I cut the, cut the weight on the airplane, weighed in, smoked that guy in the first round in, I believe, 48 seconds, and then got on the mic and went nuts again. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm, I will fight today tomorrow yesterday next week last so, so week. where do you go now where do you go from here like yeah, so right I mean, now the goal is still what it was right it's still you thousand percent okay yes, so like what is there a it seems like you already did the stepping stones that everybody's supposed to do to get there you have the record you have the experience you literally got in the room with the right people so like what happens now just like fuck, I'm not taking no for an answer. I'm going to continue to drive you nuts until I'm in that octagon? Well, yeah, a couple things. One, I'm going to stay on my path, which I believe will pay off. And then the other is that I'm taking uh, opportunities as they present themselves. So right now I have a very interesting opportunity with a company called Fight Circus who is coming to Las Vegas. And uh, they do everything from like two on one fights to they had Bob Sapp and Rampage Jackson tied up to each other. Have you heard about this? Bob? No, I have not. Please Bro, explain. Well, yeah, this, is our, this is our yeah. shit. We want to know. Yeah, they do. They do like luchador, Muay Thai. They do. So to me, I'm like, OK, this is an opportunity to have some fun as well. Yeah. Um, but my next fight will probably my actual MMA fight will probably be in Fusion Fight League again. And I will butcher another man in the first round. And this time they are talking about having me fight uh, an undefeated opponent, which is fine with me. Well, uh, I'm coming and I'm going to talk shit to everybody that goes with him. Yeah, perfect. That's it. Yeah. Listen, brother, I'm talking shit to everybody. Right, and I feel like you and I are uh, pretty like minded because I know a little bit of your backstory. You went in front of the apex. You held up a sign. Let Dana know you're a combat veteran. Security came out. They took a picture. They brought it in. Dana brought you in. Now here you are. That's it. Running the the fastest rising podcast on the planet fight junkies baby let's go let's like fucking go subscribe. Yeah. when you're cutting weight like that because just to circle back to that one thing most average people like me that haven't cut it don't understand and can't understand what it's like can you describe it in a way that like the average person that hasn't done it would understand how you feel like physically and mentally while you're doing that okay if you've ever been like let's say in an airport or something and didn't eat or whatever um just extrapolate that out for a day or two and then combine that with being in a sauna with you know and you're like oh dude i can't sit in the sauna any longer okay at that point then take your water away right and then just stay in there and then and then when your body starts to shut down and you start to like lose feeling in your your limbs literally like, yeah <laughs> like in your hands start to cramp and your feet cramp and then you can't you know extend your fingers and um, your tongue starts to crack and bleed and you can't close your eyes because there's no fluid in your, your eyes, then you're probably on weight. I was a heat casualty uh, in Kuwait. We were doing, we had just got there. We were still acclimating. Uh, we came from Germany. So it was a significant, you know, climate change. And uh, we were doing like, we were with a, one of the one-star generals. Uh, I won't say his name, but we were doing personal security stuff for him. And we were reacting to a helicopter down, uh, all simulated. Now I remember running with a, with one of the dummies like 180 pounds and right. i woke up in the tent with an iv and like the general and i'm like what the fuck happened they're like yeah, yeah our, our bodies are made of water you know so on one level we are like conscious bags of water walking around you know <laughs> if you really think about it right we're just like you know uh I don't want to get too deep into spirituality, but yeah, we're, we're basically, you know, on a physical form, conscious water. And um, when you start to remove the essence of what a human is, which is water from that human body, things start to get real weird real quickly. So. You think that's why Pierre, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, you, you're going to say what I was going to say. You were going to ask about yeah. Pierre? Yeah. 
So Alex Pereira looked like his cheeks were going to cave in on himself. Now he's saying, I'm going to 205, when theoretically a trilogy should probably be the next one just because of how crazy those fights are. So, yeah, it's just so crazy. Do you think he would have got knocked out if he didn't cut 77 pounds? Well, I think uh, Israel Adesanya is extremely talented, and I think that anyone who hits anyone with those gloves i don't know if you guys have ever like put on the actual gloves that you wear not the not the eight ounce puffies or anything but if you wrap your hands like that might be cool for one of the podcasts bringing yeah. somebody who could wrap hands and just actually feel what it feels like they turn your hands into freaking bricks man and then that little padding it's not soft right you can really really send somebody to the shadow realm speaking right? of shadow realm you have trained with Francis Ngannou? Oh. Uh, well, I've, I've been in the room with Francis when he's trained, and it's it's a whole other situation, man. First of all, that guy came over. His entire story yeah. is insane. Mm-hmm. And so when you're in the room with a guy like Francis, and then you know they're asking me to cut weight on an airplane, I'm like, dude, that's nothing, bro. You know what this guy's been through? He fought the second best guy on the planet. He had an injured knee, and he's fighting on the biggest stage possible for the world title with his contract expiring. Like he had well, everything. He got arrested line. at the border of France. He got spent right. ninety days. Like that I, dude went through so much. There's nothing I would like more than for Francis to resign with the UFC because I would love to see Francis versus John Jones. Mm-hmm. And everybody is saying that you know John Jones is wrestling. Listen, Francis. It's one of the freakiest experiences I've ever been around. Well, one time we were moved, Francis and I were moving the heavy bags because he's donating heavy bags to his foundation. It's a gym in Africa. And I'm picking up 150 pound heavy bags and like walking them and then like rolling them onto the visibly the struggling. <laughs> he's shot putting them with one hand at a time, picking them up. I'm, I'm not exaggerating. This isn't hyping him up or anything like that. It was just yeah. like, I could just. It was seeing a physical anomaly in person. His hip muscles and everything around his hips alone is unlike anybody else in the UFC. He can, the power he generates, no one can match that in the UFC, I think, period at all, ever. Maybe Brock, but Brock also is a different situation. But Francis, the power alone is just insane. And Francis is grappling daily. Like people are like, oh, he didn't, it's like, first of all, there's different rule sets, right? So, So in wrestling, if you're not engaging, you're stalling, right? Whereas in UFC or MMA in general, you don't have to necessarily engage with wrestling. You can mm-hmm. just disengage and then that's fine. Then you get back to striking, yeah. right? So it's a completely different rule set. There's no forced engagement. So when a wrestler is trying to take down someone who does not want to engage in the wrestling, it's much more difficult. And that's just one aspect, right? Let alone, you know, everything else that Francis has physically and mentally and spiritually to believe in himself to the point that he even got here yeah. and then got to the yeah so immigrant mentality man it's crazy a, it's a whole nother level it's such a benefit to him that he had that stuff go on because how are you going to mentally defeat that guy so yeah francis please resign Let's, yeah. we want to see not, the fight he, we the see only the time fight. he didn't show up is because he had a ripped knee and he could not physically do it like i that. don't know how he got through that period i've had knee injuries and stuff and the fact that he was able to have the cardio to get through the whole fight too right it's just it, that, it's one of the most impressive things until I didn't realize how bad it was until Eric explained it to me. Right. And I'm like looking at that. And I'm like, next to Luke Rockhold fighting Paulo Costa, that's one of my favorite fights of all time. Just because I knew how compromised the guy was and he was still the best in the whole world. With all of that said, and I, I support Francis Ngannou and I wish him the best. I got to say, John Jones will beat the dog shit out of him, I think. Like personally, I think he will smoke him. I disagree you dis- so much. John Jones, you hear it. 
What? Yeah, Come I on, mean, Fight Junkies. Tell us what you think. John, I just, John Jones is a bad man. He's a, he's a bad, bad man. So is Fran. I just all think right. the skill level, the fight IQ, the wrestling, the all-around attributes of John Bones Jones, the GOAT, he just, I don't see Francis. I, I have no disrespect to John Jones at all. He's, but Five rounds it took him to beat Cyril Gaon. They went to decision, right? But the injury, if you look at it now, I think the fighter that Francis is today Versus the fighter he was when he had that last fight, they're they're different. They're a lot different. He does now that improve. he's healthy and he's improving. Uh, I struggle to see a situation where he is completely outclassed. And if that's the case, and he's not completely outclassed, he can knock anybody out. Yeah. So I I think that fight would be Francis's fight. If I'm going to be honest, if I had to put a bet down right now, Francis versus John Jones, I'm going to bet on Francis. Well, that kind of let me ask you this. So your so your belief is that. John Jones will take Francis down without being hit. Is that what you're saying? Because if you're saying that he will get hit, no, he's then, definitely then, what, get then, hit. then what's the percentage that Francis can knock him out with one of those punches? Right? And now and now we're playing a percentages game. It's like, well, Francis, if we're in imagining. Yeah, but John also, you know, Stipe took some took some shots, and I bet right. you that John Jones has a better better chin than Stipe. I just think he's gonna clench, close that distance. Um standing. Definitely not. John's certainly, we've ne nobody's ever stood up and said he's a knockout artist. He's never been that guy. He's just going to beat you with pressure. And a lot of his go to decision, you know, a lot of stoppage in his earlier times. But I just think, I think, yeah, with his wrestling, he takes him down. He, he you know, mediates the threat. Um, but we're talking about Fran Francis, right? And Francis right. went through a lot with the UFC uh, and, and Dana White behind closed doors. I wanted to ask, like, what your opinion is on Dana White. Do you know Dana? Like, now that you've been essentially, like, given the golden ticket to get, you know, a clear pathway to the UFC and then you've been cut in a way, like right. where do you stand like man to man, like in your heart with, with like Dana and the UFC brass? Right. So, so I have a unique take on fighter pay in general and Dana White more specifically, which is, um, so you've got the, the little dummy of Conor McGregor over here, the little wrestling buddy, shout out to Conor, shout out to, you I know. got Patty over here, but I'm a little right. disappointed in Patty the baddie right now. Whoa. But, uh, yeah. So, so let's say Conor, right? So here's my thoughts on fighter pay. Let's say Conor never received a single dollar from the UFC. All he got was a platform and proper 12 placement. He exited that company for, I believe, 600 million. So even if the UFC never paid him a dollar, he'd still be a 600 millionaire. Right. So when people are talking about UFC and fighter pay and this and that, I'm like, dude, they're providing an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Like if like, DM, if you don't know how to maximize the opportunity, DM me, I will help you. Right. Like like Con Connor's <laughs> out here showing yeah. that there is opportunity outside of just they're, they're paying you in another currency. They're paying you in, you know, uh brand recognition they're paying you an exposure they're paying you and you know creating an international celebrity out of you all you got to do is just give them something to run with and then win fights and obviously the fighting winning fights is mm -hmm. the challenging part but if you if you believe in yourself and you're confident and you feel like you're going to win then let people know and then use the platform right maybe don't worry so much about fighter pay and don't nickel and dime the people that are promoting you right and then move from there partner with brands that need exposure scale up Exit. I can profit. feel your opinion right. building. A fucking men. I've never heard somebody <laughs> explain it that well. And right now, like, because I, I'm a big union guy. My dad's picketing right now in Canada because right. he's on strike. And I'm on the side of the UFC and what you're saying. Does exactly. your dad have a big blow up rat next to him? I wish my dad's got a big sign, though. Okay. But <laughs> I completely agree with you. 
And that's like, I had a union basically pay for my teeth, pay for me to go to university and stuff like that. But unionizing the UFC, trying to fight for fighter pay, I completely agree with what you're saying. A lot of guys straight up just don't even try on social media and they're in UFC. And I'm going, right. you have the biggest opportunities. There's tons of medium to small size brands that are going, I will give you $1,200. Can you make a post about my product? Right. Well, you can make a lot of money when you're not fighting for three months. You can once a week, think about that money. You can make four grand in a month easy as a guy signed to the UFC roster. Well, win a couple of fights, 20,000 bucks a month. Continue right. that on. Right. And, You're in a and, perfect spot. You know, and then, then hypothetically speaking, extrapolate that out. You, you get X amount of income. You start something like this, the uh, MMA fighter podcast starring MMA fighter XYZ, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And then, you know, you've got uh, a platform. The UFC is promoting you. You're using that to promote your platform. And, you know, it's just like that's just one way of doing it. But yep. um, Very closed-minded thought process. I feel like a lot of people are um, optimizing for the wrong metric. Yep. Yeah. They, well, he, everybody, and you're you're a right. pro fighter. You, you're in the gym. You know, you're in the shit with these guys in the trenches. How many of them in the back when nobody's really around say, "Man, I'd like to go over to boxing and make a hundred mil." But right. how many are actually going to freaking do that? How many times is besides like Mayweather, Connor, and the, actually, you know, uh, Javante Davis and, and Ryan Garcia did it like over one point six million pay per view. That doesn't happen in boxing. So nope. for Francis, I could be wrong. Maybe you guys agree or disagree. I think he was like, I'm going to go fight Tyson Fury and make a big-ass bag, and then I'm going to maybe come back to the UFC. But now it doesn't even look like he's going to fight Fury. Fury's going to fight Ruiz now. I just think, yeah, you're right. The, the, the magnitude of this multi-billion-dollar company that's on ESPN and all over the world, your brand alone could have paid you more than any other company on earth. Just by building yourself. Right. And and I think that that is what a lot of... So most fighters are, I'm a good fighter. I should be paid based on my goodness as a fighter. And if two excellent fighters fight at a bar, what, what revenue did that generate? Yep. TikTok but, views. Right. But if we, <laughs> if we take... Um, let's talk about Fight Circus. We take a, a guy in a clown mask fighting two... Uh, you know, little people in luchador masks, and then that generates a hundred million dollars in you know pay per views, or not not that it would be. But that it does scale, pay off saying, sometimes, right? But I'm just saying that 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 is actually generating money. So there's a difference between fighting. If you're a good fighter and you want to fight good guys, then fight good guys. If you are a fighter and you're generating revenue, then you can ask for a percentage of that revenue. Those are two separate mm -hmm. skill sets. It's called the fight business. There's the fighting, which you need to be proficient at, and then there's the business, which is how you get paid. Well, and people people are crossing them over, and they're two separate entities in the same umbrella. Your friend of yours, right? Talking about fight business. Yes, sir. Just won a big bag, right? Oh, Patchy buddy. Mix, my guy. Yeah, let's get into that. He just won a million dollars, right? Yeah, uh, Patchy's the man. Uh, Patchy and I have what's called dog rounds where um, sometimes we'll just walk forward and neither one of us wants to take a back step. So when, um, you know, his opponent was explaining, oh, Patchy's intimidated. I literally yelled at the Instagram screen on my phone and was like, bro, you're dead. Right. Because <laughs> Patchy's you're dead. Bitch. Right. Yeah. So I've seen Patchy with the absolute best fighters at 135 pounds on the planet. Mm -hmm. And in my estimation, based on what I've seen in the room, Patchy is the absolute best one. 135er on the planet in any organization. 
organization. So I'm very, very proud of him. I'm excited that he won. I love that guy. His girlfriend is Tatiana Suarez. She's going to be a world champion. And yeah, man. And that's I, unbiased. Right. Like that's just that's, you looking That's in. just, that's objectively seeing what I see in the room happen every day. And I completely right. agree with you. Yeah, and Patchy Mix morning. also has a check that says he's the best fighter in the world. That right. check speaks volumes. I was at a wedding, so I couldn't watch the fight live, but I kept refreshing my phone as soon as I could because I kept looking down because my girlfriend didn't want me sitting on my phone the whole time. And I'm waiting for the fight to end. I'm waiting for the fight to end. It ends, and I'm like, that's exactly how I fucking saw that one going. He's the best in the world. There's no, I don't want to hear any other debate. I would love for him to come to the UFC, but Bellator does a good job, and they also take care of their guys. I give Scott Coker a lot of credit for what they've done there. Do you see that PFL might be buying Bellator? What? Uh, I did not see that. I went to lunch, and that's everywhere. Check your Instagram. What? what? Yep. Now, um, yeah, uh, and, and PFL. Yeah, doing breaking some big news. Burr, burr, burr. Yeah, PFL. Might oh, be I love PFL Bellator. too. They they got Jake Paul coming in. Ray Seffo's moving and shaking, man. So. so what's next? Like, all right, I don't I don't want to keep going back because I know it's a sore subject in a way. But like, there's people that are killing it, like your buddy in other organizations. Have you spoke to Scott Coker or a PFL or One Championship or any of these other big organizations? My manager has gotten me opportunities with um, several large organizations just based on the fact that I'm, you know good on camera um, that, you know, these places are interested. Cause I'll go stand uh, outside of their building right. with a cardboard no, no, sign. But, I, but I, <laughs> I, I explained to my manager that the goal remains the goal. The goal was not to get signed to a major organization. The goal was to get signed to the number one promotion on the planet, the UFC. And specifically when you're asking me about Dana White himself, I want to, I want to be, I look at it like a partnership, that guy, right. And this is something nobody talks about. I believe that man single-handedly saved the United States, if not the world, from the lockdown because no one was willing to go first, and he went first. And when he went first and he forced the world to see that it wasn't what the media was saying it was, then college sports went, and then the NFL went. And once everybody started seeing sports on TV, everything worldwide started unlocking. And had he not done that, who knows what they would have done to us? Who knows? They they weren't planning on stopping. No. And then Dana forced them to stop. So there's nobody I would rather collaborate collaborate with or or just just get involved with than Dana. Dana people don't even understand it. So when they're like, "Oh, Dana's this that," listen, man, go go own a sports league. And when the entire global elite infrastructure is telling you that they are going to lock us down and force us into subjugation, you be the man that says, no, this will not stand. And then go believe in freedom and then go run your event while the media is attacking you relentlessly. Go do that and then come back and talk to me because that's what Dana White did. And the stuff they did at those events in Abu Dhabi and everything was right. lit. Oh, Fight Island. Fight Island, Fight Island yeah. is so dope. I want to go fight at Fight Island right now. It's not even a thing anymore. Yeah. Let's, yeah. Fight Island's the coolest concept. Right. Like, if you, like, when you really think about it, they could have done stuff smaller than what they did, but they go, right. what's the best opportunity in this absolute shit situation? Dana didn't fire anybody. It. No, right? yeah. no one. No. Yeah. And you're talking about a guy who not only. And I call it the lockdown because the pandemic word and the C Arona thing, I don't believe that's what it was. I believe that there was something out there that was causing some people to get sick. I know some people that got really sick with it, but then it was taken by, you know, people who are power obsessed and power hungry to try and pr just press an agenda that nobody wants. And Dana stood up to it. 
But Dude. before I start, oh, don't get me started it, on that. It fucked I'll me. throw this table through the wall. Let <laughs> me adjust my Dolce Gabbana fanny pack. But I wanted I to say we're talking off on a tangent. A lot of people are are big fans of like you know the fighters. And granted, I'm a huge fan of some of the fighters. But me personally, right? Uh, and, and I'm not brown nosing. Like I'm not getting any benefit from this. I'm a fan of real men, strong men, stand up men, family men, uh, and, and somebody like Dana who is from the East Coast like me, who who literally was a bellhop, which you know it doesn't sound like a lot, but I'm telling you that's a good union job and that's a paycheck and, and it's some security and he went from doing that shit to like nah I don't want to do this I'm going to go in the fight game and now we're looking at one of the biggest most prolific organizations in all of the world let alone sports I, I like to be surrounded and be a part of somebody like that. Fucking winners. I want to be around winners. I used to be so, oh, call me. I'm tired of listening to people's sorrows and their bullshit. I'm here to win. If you get in Fight Junkie's way, let's get in the octagon. I'll fight any other journalist. You're getting me all fired up. Right, but right. Dana White's Is there the someone man. specific you're talking about? No, I, anybody. Whatever. Okay, because I, I, I heard a rumor, you know what I mean, that there was somebody specific. But. Oh, the schmo? What? Yeah, yeah, I would get in there what? with the schmo. But granted, I, I got to say... I gotta be honest. I, I do like the schmo. He's a huge mo- like. I'm a fan of what he's done right. coming out of nowhere. So there's no like. If there was bad blood, I wouldn't be talking about it on I, you know on the in this room on on a camera. You know, I just go find yeah. out where he's at. Um, no, he's a he probably might beat beat my ass. He's a young kid. I got almost ten years on him. He's in good shape. But yeah, wh- who wouldn't want? I know Ariel Hawani's not going to get in the octagon with another journalist or, or, or somebody doing a podcast. Listen, brother, we're going to put it on Fight Circus or we're going to put it on UFC one yeah. way or the Let's other. Let's do it, Let's man. Make that I'm fight down. happen. Let's go. I, I we'll do it. it in July, International Fight Week. I told Perfect. my girlfriend I wouldn't tell this story because it makes me sound like a douchebag. But no, uh, we're TikTok, all wearing sunglasses. We're all douchebags. Listen, listen, a bunch of testosterone video- goes up, the sunglasses go on. Feel free to get your douchebag on. Let's I was go. doing uh, video game stuff on TikTok and right. I happened to start my video with the same three words another guy or three or four words another other guy did in his videos but i was describing a really generic ass thing so i make this video it's funny a lot of people liked it but then he starts commenting on my video being like you're ripping me off i'm like it's four words bro it's generic and he starts like shit talking me and he's like you got no followers i'm giving you stimulus followers by you copying all my ideas and i got fired up because i look at this kid he looks like a fucking unathletic franklin the turtle now i'm not a tough guy i'm not a guy that gets in fights i have a very little fight experience but i go fuck this how can i make this into a situation that can benefit me also this kid's really got under my skin because like just the way he was acting. And I go, you don't, I don't like keyboard tough guys. You can talk shit to me. You can do whatever you want, make fun of me. But like this one really ticked me off just because of the way the kid looked. I knew he wouldn't do anything. He wouldn't make eye contact with me in person. And he goes, you're not, he called me. He goes, you're not a tough guy. Tough guy. And I go, I know I'm not. I just know you're not either. <laughs> I reached out to Triller, BKFC. I actually had BKFC call me and they're uh-huh. like, would you fight the guy bare knuckle? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, okay, blah, blah, blah. Like, uh, call me later. I'm about to go into a meeting. And then my girlfriend goes, why do you want to fight the guy? And I go, because well, I know I'd win, and he's not going to take the fight anyway. And if he does, I'll beat him up. And she's like, well, doesn't that make you a bully? And I go, fuck. I was just going to say. Yes. I couldn't do it. That ruined it immediately. And, I, you know, it could have worked out. It would have been good promo and stuff. But I looked at myself and went, fuck. I'm that guy. But I just hate he the— had, He annoyed you. Don't feel bad. He pissed you off. Some, nah, people, but, talk, what, what, some people need to get smacked up. Do the, you, can, you don't have to beat his ass and bare knuckle. You could go over and do a power slap, he'll never, smack him in his mouth. He'll never accept it, but it was just one of those funny situations. What do you like, think of power slap? Well, uh, before we get into power slap, I think that that's, that's an underlying issue that's going on with society. Yeah. Is that people are, are misrepresenting what they're willing to do and not do. So he feels comfortable because of combat veterans and men like you— he, because there's order 
in this world. He feels he can say whatever he wants to you and there's no consequences because someone will come arrest you for beating him up. Or if you want to go fight him, he'll say, oh, you're bullying me. So he's going to poke, 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 and then he's going to go back and, oh, you're bullying me because I don't know how to yeah. fight. Well, then maybe learn how to fight, bro, before you start running your yeah, mouth keep on your TikTok, mouth shut, right? big like, dog. <laughs> you know, or, or don't, or be cool to people, right? Like either yeah. way, but like if you're going out here poking people and instigating fights, then don't be surprised when you get beat up. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. You can talk shit too. Like I have no problem with people shit. Talking. I, I'm, I'm not negative. a tough guy at all. I mean, I can handle my own and, but I will, I'll talk shit to you, your grandma while you're beating me up. You're going to have to duct tape my mouth shut. But that's maybe that's because I'm from Jersey. But granted, people are just so comfortable talking shit. When we grew up, he, we got you well, by a few years. Yeah, a few Bro, years. like in 99, parents did uh, go to the park. It was bare knuckle every day after school back in like 99 <laughs> to 2003. Nobody gave a shit. You went home. Hey, what happened? And if I bullied Did my dad, yeah, that's it. Did you win? That's okay, it. Cover good. it up. Suck it up. Dude, right. my upbringing was so different. I have such a white, just normal suburban upbringing. But you're from Canada, man. People I, don't fight in Canada. No, nah, everyone's chill. We're everyone's just so nice. Shooting maple syrup and looking at me. Making ice luges and putting fucking whiskey down it. <laughs> so oh, what's next, bro? We're, uh, we're we're almost out of time. Um, I, I, random thought. Did I, you know Grant Cardone? You met you uh, met him in Miami or something? Yeah, so Grant and I met in Miami, and he recently started following me on Instagram, which is like, he's one of my role models. The guy's got like, what, $4 billion That's assets. a big deal, dude. Right, and so that's part of the reason why I'm talking about the UFC right now, because Grant Cardone owns something called 10X Health Systems. He's partners with Gary Brecca, and they are working with Dana White to reverse Dana White's biological age. Dana knows this is possible. I'm talking to to anyone I can to spread the word that we are not limited to our biology right now. Are you doing the 10X too? Dude, I'm on everything. Do you Medical. know our bo- do you know the owner of this whole John Orlando? You have I to did, meet him. But yeah. Well, he's he's he knows Gary Brecker. He's also on it. Okay, yeah. So like imagine this story. King David MMA. King David 10 MMA. Helks, 10X Health Systems, right? And then, like, I go smoke somebody in the UFC. What's a better testimonial for the 10X Health System itself? This kid, he's been Grant thinking Cardone, about it. Dana White, let's go. Let's get it. But, yeah, so I, I believe that, you know, what's more important is performance. I believe what's more important is your ability to, you know, uh, protect yourself in a cage. And as long as I'm able to perform uh, in the ring, in the cage, on the mat, in the octagon. In the bedroom. Then that, uh, that too. Hey, listen. Rounds on rounds. <laughs> Rounds on rounds in the cage. You know what I don't like? Back to back. Um, we grew up a lot different 25 years ago, you know? Yeah. Uh, my dad was a cop in Brooklyn, you know? Oh, he's okay. from Brooklyn. He was a cop in New York City, 30 years, 9 11, first responder. Whenever I got upset, my dad would say, Don't get upset, get mad. Especially like baseball, you strike out, hit the ball harder, get pissed off. Right. I have daughters, I have a wife. I'm supposed to literally protect them with. My body, with my life, literally. Lately in this country, and I'm not going to get in. We'll do that over some beers another time. Um, I'm just disappointed in the lack of like men in this world right now. And it's not, it's not that I'm all, oh, we got to be tough. It's not like bro science. It's not ego. It's not tough guy shit. It's respect. And if you respect your family and you love your family, as a man, you should be able to protect them. And lately, we haven't been able to do it. That's why I get along with fighters so much. Because you guys know what it's like to go to war and like step into that. Every time I went on patrol, I didn't know if I was coming home. Every time. And that was 16, 18 hours outside. We did almost 400 combat patrols. Every single time, I didn't know if that was the day. I even accepted at one point. Like, it is what it is. Every time you train, you're training for war. And I think that's why we get along. Um, I'm super stoked to have you here today, man.
you have anything else you want to plug? I, I, I know you've been going through, you know, the ringer, but I am excited for your future. Just your energy, the way you carry yourself, you're charismatic. I know you're going to, people are going to regret not taking the chance with you. Well, I, I fully believe that. It, it, it just makes the story greater, yeah. you know, and, and then that's also a testimony to God, belief and faith, right? Because God created creators. I believe we are here to create our future and our destiny. And when people talk about having faith, it's not faith in stuff you believe in or that you can see, it's having faith in the unknown and believing that it will happen despite evidence to the contrary. So when Sean Shelby looked at the 42 on the paper and cut me, I didn't look at it like I'm not going to where I'm going. I looked at it like this is God and my opportunity to have faith in God, my future and my destiny. Let's get it. One last question, and yes, if you have anything. How was it growing up with Hulk Hogan as your uncle? I have to ask. I, I don't want to, you know, go into it, but having Hulk Hogan as an uncle has to be pretty dope. What, right. And at the time that I was growing up, Hulk Hogan was like, that would be like having Kim Kardashian as an aunt right now. You know, like everywhere you go, he for a period of time, for like over a decade, he was the most recognizable face on the planet because um, not every country has the same religion, but every country had, you know, three TV channels. So even in Africa, where they didn't uh, have any exposure to like, let's say Jesus, they could recognize Hulk Hogan's face against anybody, Elvis, Jesus, anybody worldwide for over a decade. So it was, uh, it was quite the experience having someone in your family that everybody recognizes everywhere you go globally. Damn. That's yeah. got to be cool. Yeah. Crazy. And, and, you know, and yeah. he started he started by driving, you know, hundreds of miles and then being told, hey, we're going to pay you 50 bucks to wrestle. And his gas money costs 50 bucks to get there. And then when he gets there, they tell him, oh, we didn't make the gate and you don't get paid. And he was selling Hulkamania T-shirts out of the trunk of his car to pay for his gas money. So to see what he's been able to accomplish, it's just it's inspirational. And I feel like we need more stories like that to be propagated rather than victimhood, because we can choose, uh, you know, victimhood or we can choose victory. And I choose to be a victor. So I surround myself with like minded individuals. I believe you're one of them. I believe you're one of them. And together we can continue to spread a positive message and change the world for the better dope yeah i got nothing else you got nothing else yep all right uh i appreciate having you on um do you know the nelk boys do you follow them uh yeah so we sat next to all the happy dad uh crew in miami we went out for the fights and um yeah i just looked over i was like oh what and then uh yeah we chopped it up a little bit but i don't know i don't know them super personally i just right. you know. i'm just and I say that, and I'm going to continue to say that on every single podcast because I'm trying to get on the Nelk Boys uh, radar because I'm a big fan, Mr. Canada over here. Steve will do it. You're the man. Holler at me. Fight junkies. Let's go. My brother, King David, MMA. And it's the other Bab. Babs. I, Babs, I appreciate you guys. I've been with him all day, and I still, <laughs> I'm still fucking it up. It's tough. Uh, Lana, I appreciate you engineering, producing, doing all that cool shit you're doing back there behind the computer. Uh, we'll see you soon. We'll have you again. Uh, I want to do some more stuff, fight companion stuff. Uh, I'm going to be going uh, with my fight junkies uh, gear uh, and my mic to the strip once a week. Um, I'll hit you up if you ever want to come out. You know, we'll, we'll do some interviews out there and ask them. I say yes to everything. Mm -hmm. You ever seen the, the Jim Carrey movie, Yes Man? Yeah. He just says yes to everything. I say yes to everything. Let's go. All right, let's do it. All right, Bye, brother. Fight junkies, please like, share, subscribe. I am Bad Bob. I love you. I'm out. Love you. Peace.